Lord God, open our hearts and our ears to your word this morning. Amen. So, John the Baptist came preaching, we read in verse 1 of our gospel text this morning. John the Baptist came preaching. And the focus of my passage this morning will be the content of John's preaching, his message. The gospel writer gives us a summary of John's preaching in verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he gives us a much fuller example of John's preaching in verses 7 to 12. (coughs) Now, already from the summary in verse 2, you can hear that the great theme of John's preaching is repentance. And I bet that many of us have a vague idea of what that word repentance means. Repentance is when you say you're sorry for something or when you stop doing something bad or something like that. Well, as Christian disciples, growing in our understanding and our love of God, we don't want to have just a vague idea of what repentance means. We want to have a full biblical understanding of what repentance is. We want to have a deeper and clearer understanding of repentance so that we ourselves can actually repent more fully and more deeply. So the plan for this sermon is to draw out from this text three aspects of John's preaching that will, I hope, sharpen our understanding of what repentance really is. So here's those three points in advance. First, repentance is an urgent necessity. Repentance is an urgent necessity. Number two, repentance is about whole life change. Number three, repentance is a turn toward Jesus. Again, it's my hope that as we walk through these three points, the Holy Spirit will give us a deeper and clearer understanding of repentance, and that he will lead us each to a richer repentance of our own, in our own lives. So let's start with that first point. Repentance is an urgent necessity. As John the Baptist tells it, repentance isn't just something you might want to do, if you feel like it. No, it's an urgent necessity for every person. It's an urgent necessity because of what's coming. What's coming is God's kingdom. John says it there in verse 2, right? Repent for, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now the kingdom of heaven is just another way of saying the kingdom of God. God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is at hand, John says. That means it's real close. It's almost here. Now this is, of course, really good news. God, who has always been the rightful king of the world, is coming back to restore his rule. He's coming to put an end to the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of sin, of evil, of sickness, of death. He's coming to put an end to all of that and to restore his perfect rule. When God comes as king, as we heard in our psalm this morning, he establishes justice and peace. 
He restores health and life. He lifts up the righteous and defends the poor. He crushes the oppressor. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is nearly here. This is good news. But John warns us that the coming of God's kingdom will only be good news for us if we repent. Because the coming of God's kingdom, the kingdom of justice and peace, of perfect love and goodness, also means the coming of God's wrath. John uses that expression in verse 7, the wrath to come. The coming of God's kingdom also means the coming of God's wrath against sin, his fierce anger against all the many evils, the many evil ways that we have corrupted his creation. We don't like to think about ourselves this way, but the truth is that we have been collaborators with Satan in his kingdom of sin and death. The Bible says that we were enemies of God. Not, of course, because God ever turned against us, but because we turned against him. And that's the truth about our sin. Our sin is a struggle against God and against his kingdom, against his kingly rule. As sinners, we don't want God to be king. We don't want God's kingdom of justice and peace, of perfect goodness and love. Because we want to be king. We want the kingdom of self, right? Which is another word for the kingdom of Satan. The sinner says, I am king. I am Lord. I decide what's good and evil. I decide what the meaning of my life is. Not you, God. Me. I am God. Yikes. Right? That's the, the insane blasphemy of the sinner. The insane rebellion against God's good kingdom. And the truth is that all of us have that in our hearts every day. The sin in our heart can come out in a whole bunch of different ways. But whether your sin looks big or small on the outside, the truth is that your sin is a big problem. That little sin that you commit every day, even that little sin, the one about which you're thinking right now, okay, but he's not talking about that little thing, right? Yes, even because of that sin, the wrath of God is coming. Because behind all of our sins, big or small, lies our rejection of God, our rebellion against his kingdom. The coming of God's kingdom is good news for the world, the best news there could ever be. But if we have made ourselves enemies of God and rebels against his kingdom, then it won't be good news for us. And that's why there is such an urgency to John's preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The best thing ever is coming. It's almost here. God's kingdom of justice and peace, of perfect goodness and love, it's almost here. But for you, it will be the worst thing ever, because you've positioned yourself to fight to the death against it, against that kingdom. So for God's sake, 
Repent and quick, because it's almost here. For sinners like us, it's a matter of urgent necessity that we should turn from our sin and come back to God's side while there is still time. That's what God wants for each of us. He doesn't want any of us to be subject to his wrath. That's not why he created us. Rather, he wants us to turn from our sin and return to him so that we can enter into his blessed kingdom. That's where God's heart is. At the same time as having a righteous wrath against sin, at the same time as having that, God has a gracious desire to save sinners. He says it in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, a favorite of mine. As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn from his way and live. That's what God wants. That's what he takes pleasure in. When sinners turn from their sin and receive life from him. And that's, of course, why he sent John the Baptist to preach this urgent message of repentance. It's because of our sin that we need to repent, and that's why the first step in repentance is to confess our sins. We see it in verse 6 of this text. The crowds who came out to John were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. John could receive these people for baptism, for a washing that symbolized their repentance, because they were willing to confess their sins. That's why he could receive them for this. These people acknowledged the truth that we've been talking about here, the truth that we are sinners, that we are enemies and rebels against God, and that as we are, we are not ready for the coming of God's kingdom. Confessing our sins isn't just about confessing all the bad things we've done. That, that's appropriate, of course. But it's more than that. It's about confessing what we are. And confessing our urgent need for a change. We can't repent properly unless we understand that our sin is a big problem. And that our repentance is an urgent necessity. So there's point number one. Repentance is an urgent necessity. Point number two, repentance is about whole life change. Repentance begins with confessing our sinful state, but it doesn't end there. Repentance isn't something you do once, out with John the Baptist at the River Jordan, and then it's over. Repentance is something that continues through our whole earthly life. The whole life of faith is a life of repentance. And John gets quite worked up about this point in verse 7, doesn't he? When he sees some of the Pharisees and Sadducees, two different religious groups of the day, coming out to receive his baptism. And it seems like these Pharisees and Sadducees approve of what John is doing. They think baptism sounds like a great idea. But when John sees the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming, he says to them, you brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He is not so happy to see them, is he? Why not, do you think? 
Shouldn't John be glad that even these religious folks want to come and get baptized? What's, what's the problem here? Well, let's read on. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Here's the problem. The Pharisees and the Sadducees appear to be interested in repentance, but John perceives that they aren't bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. Over and over again, the Bible uses that image of fruit to talk about the actions and the way of life that grows out of our heart. So to bear fruit in keeping with repentance means living in a way that gives evidence of a repentant heart. You see, the Bible knows very well that there's a true repentance and there's a phony repentance. There's a deep repentance and a surface-level-only repentance. The Pharisees and the Sadducees who come to John are a bunch of snakes, he says, because they want to look like they're repenting, but they aren't really interested in the kind of whole life change that true repentance actually brings. So John warns them in verse 10, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The Pharisees and the Sadducees think they can escape from God's wrath just by receiving John's baptism. In effect, they think they can fool God by putting on a show of repentance without the fruit of repentance. But John warns them that that's not how it works. You can't fool God, of course, and in God's eyes, this kind of unfruitful, superficial repentance counts for nothing. The repentance God wants is a repentance that bears fruit. A repentance that reorders, rearranges your whole life from the bottom up. And this makes sense, right? Before we repented, our whole lives were expressions of rebellion against God, because in our hearts we wanted to be our own gods. Well, if that's what we're repenting of, if that's what we're turning away from, then, of course, our whole life will need to change as a result. Where everything we used to do used to be, in some way or other, an expression of warped self-lordship, now we will start to live in a way that expresses God's good and loving lordship. Now, let's be careful not to misunderstand this point. John isn't saying that unless your life is suddenly perfect the day after you repent, your repentance is phony. No, that's not what John's saying. The whole life change that God wants to see in us doesn't happen overnight. Whole life repentance works itself out over a whole lifetime. The Bible assures us that that's normal, actually. So we're not meant to read this passage and think, oh no, I sinned yesterday, I must be one of those fruitless trees that gets thrown into the fire. It's all over for me, there's no hope. No, the difference between true and phony repentance isn't whether you sinned yesterday. 
The truth is that everyone here, uh, myself certainly included, sinned yesterday, right? So the difference between true and phony repentance is how your heart responded to that sin. If you sinned yesterday and thought, oh well, who cares? It's not a big deal. God probably isn't paying attention, and even if he is, who cares? What business is, what business is it of his? I'm the one in charge here. Besides, I got baptized a few years ago, so I'm covered, right? God has no right to bug me about this stuff anymore. Well, if the voice of your heart sounds anything like that, then you should be worried. That's not the sound of a repentant heart. That's the sound of a heart that is still the enemy of God. That's the sound of a tree that's fit for nothing but burning, unless it gets healthy real quick. But maybe when you caught yourself sinning yesterday, you had a different set of thoughts. Maybe you hated your sin. Maybe you hated your sin as the thing most offensive to God and most dangerous to your soul. Maybe you confessed your sin to God and asked him to forgive you and to help you bear fruit. Maybe even as you're listening to this sermon, your heart is convicting you of a sin that you still need to confess before you come to the communion table today. If what's going on in your heart is anything like that, then I think you can actually be encouraged by this text. That's the sound of a repentant heart. A heart that's not going to leave you alone with sin. But that's going to keep bugging you about it. Hating your sin. Confessing to God. Asking for God's forgiveness and for his help. That's what goes on inside a repentant heart. Day after day. Every day. All of that is part of the fruit of repentance. Over time, people who live this kind of repentance will be changed. They will learn to live in new ways that more and more reflect the goodness and the love of God their King. But that whole life change starts in the heart with the process of daily confession and daily recommitment to God. So there's point number two. Repentance is about whole life change. And this brings us to our last and most important point. Number three, repentance is a turn toward Jesus. I guess even our unbelieving friends and neighbors know that when you do something wrong, you're supposed to feel kind of bad about it. Apologize to anyone you hurt and then try not to do it again, right? Everyone knows that. And it's true as far as it goes, but that's not biblical repentance. That's something that falls very short of biblical repentance. The biggest difference is that biblical repentance is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And we see it in our passage this morning. But for John the Baptist, it's simply impossible to call people to repentance without talking about Jesus. Listen again to how John finishes his sermon in verses 11 and 12. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, 
whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John desperately wants everyone he baptizes to understand that the baptism he gives is only a kind of preparation. Because after John comes someone mightier and more worthy than him, someone much more important, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. John's role is to prepare the way of the Lord by preaching about repentance, but it's the Lord Jesus himself who plays the key role in repentance. According to John, repentance just isn't repentance unless Jesus is involved. Why? Because when the kingdom of God finally comes, it comes through Jesus. All that stuff we talked about at the beginning of this sermon, how God will restore the world to perfect goodness, how God will pour out his wrath against sin, God's not going to do any of that except through Jesus. John makes this point by describing Jesus as the one who holds the winnowing fork, the big pitchfork that farmers use to separate the wheat from the chaff, the bit of the plant that's not useful. It's Jesus, John tells us, who will bring the good grain into his barn and toss the chaff into the fire. In other words, Jesus Christ is the Savior and the Judge. It's Jesus who will bring the repentant into God's kingdom, and it's Jesus who will toss the unrepentant out of God's kingdom. So real repentance must mean repenting to Jesus. He is the one and the only one who has the power to receive our repentance, to say to the repentant sinner, yes, I forgive you. Jesus is the one, the only one, who died to make atonement for our sins, to make peace between us and God. And so he's the only one who can say to us, okay, you old enemy of God, come to me and I will make you a friend of God instead. Jesus is the only one who can receive our repentance, and Jesus is the only one who can empower our repentance. Because he's the only one who gives us the Holy Spirit. I baptize you with water, John says, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, it's impossible it's impossible for us to truly and worthily repent except by the help of the Holy Spirit. That true repentance, that whole life repentance, is only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God, whom Jesus pours out on all who turn to him in faith. None of us could ever bear good fruit unless our hearts were watered by that great fountain, the source of all goodness, the Lord, the giver of life. 
And this is exactly what Jesus does for each one who believes in him. He pours out his Holy Spirit upon us. So that by the grace of God, we do bear good fruit in keeping with repentance. The Spirit grows that fruit in us. So we see that for John and for us, true repentance has to mean a turn to Jesus. Because Jesus is the only Savior and Judge of humankind. Any repentance that isn't directed at Jesus is misdirected. Because Jesus is the only one who can water us with the Holy Spirit, only the repentance that turns to Jesus can ever be fruitful. True repentance does more than just turn away from sin. It turns to Jesus, acknowledging him as the only one with the right to forgive and the only one with the power to save and transform. So there's our three points. Repentance is an urgent necessity. It's about whole life change. And above all, it must be a turn toward Jesus. In closing, let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you don't want us to perish under your wrath, but to enter into your kingdom of perfect goodness and love. So we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, to reconcile us to you, who were your enemies. And Lord Jesus, as we wait for you to return, we know that there's nothing more urgent or necessary than that we should turn away from our sin and toward you. So we acknowledge, Lord, the depth and the gravity of our sin. We ask you to forgive us and to give us the help of your Holy Spirit every day that we might in our whole lives bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Amen.